There are so many things in this world that are unfair. There are so many things that are just wrong. A while back I mentioned that uh, my favorite, my new favorite Bible verse is John 16 verse 33. When Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad some of you remembered. Um, And you can't really end there because that's kind of a bad message. Uh, He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? But that part about you will have trouble. Trouble is normal in this world. You know... I look at that and I think about how we respond to that, that trouble as Christians. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, that Karl Marx once said that religion is the opiate of the masses. Kind of because there's this idea that it just kind of masks how we respond to the troubles. First, I want to say he was wrong. Television is the opiate of the masses. Digital video screens... The zombie apocalypse is here. Just watch people walk around. But but, but secondly, uh, Marx reveals an attitude that perhaps you've encountered. That that we who believe, that we who uh, have faith in God, and I think this is especially leveled against Christians, that we aren't dealing with reality. And the accusation is that we, we don't deal with the cold, hard realities of this world and we mask our pain under religious beliefs, which to Marx and, and to many others is little more than fantasy. And there are cold, hard realities, aren't there? United Auto Workers went on strike this week. GM responded by cutting all their medical benefits. I've lived in a home on both sides of a strike. My dad started in the union and eventually he was management. It's not a good time on either side of that equation. There's a lot of anger, fear, frustration, and uncertainty in those homes. I saw a story from CBS that came up in my, uh, my Facebook feed. It actually came out last year, it reminded me of a grave injustice that's taking place in in Congo right now. Some 35,000 children in the Congo working in toxic conditions, mining cobalt. Who here owns a cell phone? Who here is lying because you didn't put your hand up? (laughs) They're mining cobalt. And, and, And Basically, what this is used for is the lithium-ion batteries in our cell phones and our electric cars, our drills, and all of these, these tools. And part of me is struck by the fact that we are benefiting from their misery. And it's not fair. We don't mean to exploit these children. We, we may not have even known this was happening. But it is. What do we do with that? 
And I don't suppose I, I need to go on. We know stories that illustrate the injustices of this world, don't we? Well, if you don't, then take some time to think about it because there's a lot. And some people claim that these injustices are why they don't believe in God. Because how can I believe in a God who says that he's good and allows these kinds of things to happen? And as Christians, we wrestle with that question, don't we? There's even a, a theological name for this. It's called theodicy. Not the odyssey. Theodesis. Theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why is there suffering? Why do the wicked prosper? And these are not new questions. The Bible is full of, of this question being asked over and over again. And I'm going to tell you that by the time I'm done with this message, if you're like, Pastor Trent is going to answer that question, you're going to be deeply disappointed. Because God doesn't answer it. Other than to say we live in a sinful and broken world and we live with this injustice. And someday he is going to come again and he's going to set it all right. And in the meantime, live with faith and hope that God will indeed come again and set it right. And indeed, he's already begun that work in Christ. But we, we, we see an example of this incredible unfairness in our gospel reading today. We have this, this manager who gets caught with his hand in the till. And you know how the story goes. The guy doesn't just kick him out, so he has an opportunity to rip off his boss some more. And he sits down with some of his, his boss's debtors. We'll cancel half the debt here. We'll cancel 20% of the debt there. Why? So this guy ends up in a good position once he's kicked out to the street. And it says that the owner commends the dishonest manager. I've been asked about that so many times in my career. Why, why is he commending him? Well, I think one of the things that has to be really clear is Jesus is not commending the dishonest manager. But he's displaying how the wicked often get ahead. Even when they've been pinched. And that there is a certain wisdom in dealing with the world. A wisdom that is rooted in unrighteousness. And Jesus even says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. <laughs> The wisdom of this world and, and the wickedness that, that people display. They're better at dealing with the world than the children of God are. Once our hearts are transformed and we become part of the kingdom of God. They know how to game the system. That's what the, that's what the boss sees. And he's like, oh, he is clever. He has that shrewdness about him. He's glad he's fired him, but he can admire 
This guy, he knows what he's doing to get ahead. Because there are people out there who can game the system and get ahead at any cost. What Jesus actually commends in that reading is that we be faithful. He's calling us to a life of integrity in the midst of the injustice. He's recognizing bad things are going to happen to good people. There will be crimes. There will be all kinds of injustice. And he says to us, be faithful. Walk in faith and in hope. And he contrasts earthly wealth with true riches. The riches that flow from his blessings and the riches that can be seen in things like the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The world doesn't always value these things. But God tells us that these things are of great value, incredible value, And he gives them to us by his spirit. Jesus knows. He understands how money and wealth can tug at our hearts. And he warns us that a person cannot serve two masters. And when we begin to serve another master, which the theological term for that is idolatry, injustice will follow. And so what Jesus is actually showing us is a disordered life. A life that's focused on something other than him. And if there is an answer to this theodicy question, it's because our hearts chase after things other than God. And that's what what Amos was driving at in our first reading, too. (laughs) Homework. Read Amos. If there's ever been an uh, Old Testament prophet that speaks to today, whew, he'll get your attention. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and who bring the poor of the land to an end, who say, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? In other words, when will this religious festival be done so that we can get back to work and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Because they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. They can't make money. That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great. Now, I don't have a lot of ephahs or shekels. Pecks and pounds. We're going to make the peck small so that when you buy your fruit, it's actually a little bit less. And we're going to make our pounds a little extra heavy so that when we weigh it out, you're going to get even less. It's a scam. These people are ripping off the poor so that we may deal deceitfully with false balances. You know, you ever see that little uh, tag on the gas uh, dispenser at the gas station, at the pump? That is actually there to seal that, to tell you you're actually getting a gallon of gas 
than when it says a gallon of gas. Because people will do things like this. They will, they will use false scales that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. That we sell people for cheap. And that we sell the chaff of the wheat. You know what the chaff is? It's that part that you usually just kind of rub off. It's like paper. It has no nutritional value, but they're selling it as wheat. To say, you're hungry? Oh, here, we'll sell you this. This is the stuff we swept up at the end. There might be a little bit that's good in it. That's the situation that was going on in Israel at the time. And God responds. He says, the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. You see, when it comes to justice, God is slow and patient. But it always comes. It may not come until the last day, but it will come. And he will set all things right. And as we look at all of the injustices of the world, they will be set right. Whether it is trampling the needy, chasing after them. The Hebrew here is just evocative. It's like this, this chasing after to swallow them up. made me think of, um, actually, the lottery. You and I go out and buy a lottery ticket. It probably doesn't hurt us all that much and probably isn't that big of a deal. But the people who do this the most can afford it the least and they're putting their hope in a false hope. And God says of these things, I will never forget because he's just. And not only that, he has entered into the injustice of our lives. He doesn't just say, well, someday I'll take care of it. He has entered into our lives. He has lived the injustice as Christ has entered into this world. And probably one of the absolute most unjust things that happened in the history of this world is that Jesus, the the innocent son of God, died in our place. He was falsely accused. He he was criminally tried. But the injustice doesn't end there. The injustice is that he dies for our sin, not his. 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, is that fair? And maybe at that moment we say, and thanks be to God that he's not fair. Because he is willing to exchange Jesus' righteousness for our sins in order to rescue us and to redeem us. And thanks be to God that Jesus, in his love and mercy, did it. And then he rose from the dead to give us new life. In him, not not in ourselves, but in him, we become right with God. And and with that, we're called to begin to bring God's justice into this world. This justice, the justice of the cross and the forgiveness of sins. 
a justice that tells us that all will be well in the end when Christ returns and he makes all things new and makes all things right. And this is not, as Marx complained, just masking the injustice. Because Jesus really is going to return and he really will judge the living and the dead as we just confessed a little bit ago in the Nicene Creed. But the kingdom of God and God's justice has entered the world. And we do rightly to speak up for the oppressed, to advocate for the vulnerable, to refuse cheap political answers that don't deal with the heart of the issues. And we always live lives of humility, love, and repentance because we're part of this system. And God calls us to confess our sins and to live in his grace. Even as we speak as his voice to call the world to repentance, to turn to Jesus and to receive his forgiveness. So here Amos is warning this morning. Don't, don't think that we can mask the world's trouble. I think that in general, we make mistakes in, in two directions. One is that we leave the world's troubles and we kind of dope ourselves with religious platitudes about our own salvation. We privatize our faith. That's what Marx was complaining about. We can't do that. On the other side of that, we can't become so wrapped up in the troubles of this world that we lose sight of God and the hope that we have in Christ. Kind of a practical atheism. We just kind of go through life and we're going to fix all the world's problems and no sense of Jesus returning. But what we are called to do is to cling to the cross, to live faithfully, to share the hope that we have in Christ. And as we do that, to love our neighbor and to make a difference for them. Amen.